Hello, greetings. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ethan and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're disciples making disciples on the west side of Los Angeles. It is written in the beginning of John chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is spoken right in the middle of Jesus' final discourse with his disciples in the Gospel of John. This discourse takes up a major section of this last half of, of the Gospel of John. Starting in chapter 13 to the end, all focuses on Jesus' final evening, uh, his trial, his uh, execution, and his resurrection. And within that section, uh, chapters from 1331 through all of 14, 15, 16, and 17 are all this final discussion with the disciples. Chapter divisions, therefore, are kind of irrelevant here. Uh, it's just one long flowing dialogue uh, that uh, gets broken up for convenience sake. And the idea is th these are the final words that are ringing in the disciples' ears now that Jesus is going away in his death and then in his resurrection and ascension. And he's exhorting them and encouraging them based upon the things they're about to experience. So Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death and his resurrection, and therefore their commission. And he's speaking to the 11 disciples. They're the specific audience. And we work to try to understand what we are to gain in application from what Jesus has said to them. At the beginning of the discourse, in John 13, 31 through 14, 14, Jesus began by speaking about how the time would come that he would be glorified. And therefore, he give the, gave his disciples a new commandment that they would love one another as he has loved them. And that they will be known as his disciples for the, by their love for one another. That he goes to prepare a place for them. That uh, they may have a place in the house of the Father that where uh, 
he is, they may be also. And they know the way to get there. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him, since he is the embodiment of the character of God. And therefore he can say, if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. Jesus then promises another comforter is going to come, who is the spirit of truth. Uh, he would come because they are obeying Jesus and abiding in him. And Jesus is not going to leave them alone as orphans or desolate. He would remain with the disciples through the presence of the Spirit. That the disciples would go and do greater things than he did because the Comforter would be with them. That he was fulfilling the commands of the Father. That he would leave his peace with them. And the Comforter would come and remind them of all the things that he had taught them. And so now Jesus continues to exhort and comfort his disciples with this very explained metaphor of the vine, the branches, and the vine dresser that uh, encompasses in total 17 verses. So in, in the first uh, eight verses, we have the main metaphor uh, being described, the vine. And this is a metaphor that Jesus uses to really emphasize the importance and need of relational unity, uh, and empowerment within that relational unity. And you don't see a lot of places in Scripture where you have a metaphor that is as drawn out and as described as you have here with the vine, the branches, and the vine dresser. Now, viticulture was well known in Israel, and in, beyond just them working with grape vines and, 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 and things of that nature. Uh, there's a long history of speaking about relations between God and Israel in terms of vineyards. So Isaiah 5, 1-7 is the song of the vineyard. And then Jesus kind of updates the song of the vineyard in Matthew 21, 30-46 and in parallel accounts. So here at the beginning, Jesus identifies himself as the vine and his father as the vine dresser. This is a bit extraordinary. You would normally imagine that the father would be the vine. But Jesus is placing everybody in their place for good reason, as we're going to see. The father, as a vine dresser, is explained. Uh, the branches who bear no fruit, he takes down. And those that do bear fruit are cleansed to bear more fruit. Uh, the disciples do not need to worry. They're already clean because of the word that Jesus has spoken to them in verses 2 and 3. Now, grapevines require constant monitoring and maintenance to maximize their yield. Uh, branches are going to die, and it's better if they get cut off. Uh, but even productive branches require deliberate pruning at the right time in the right way to produce uh, more fruit, as we see here in the uh, English standing version, uh, pruning. In other versions, we have cleansing here in this verse. could be a, a textual variance here, uh, but there's also the idea here that cleansing would be a, a way of kind of getting, getting beyond the metaphor to the actual spiritual reference that the Discipline and chastening through purifying trial in Hebrews 12, uh, 1 Peter 1, may be part of that pruning process. And so Jesus now begins to explain this metaphor in, in greater depth. The disciples are to abide in Jesus, and he must abide in them, because just like a branch cannot bear fruit unless it is connected to the vine, so the disciples cannot bear fruit unless they abide in Jesus. That The disciples are the branches. And the one who abides in Jesus bears much fruit. And apart from Jesus, they can do nothing. Very emphasized there in verse 5. The one who does not remain in Jesus is cast out, gathered, and cast into the fire to burn. If they abide in Jesus, and his word is in them, if they ask, he'll be given. The Father is glorified when the disciples of Jesus bear much fruit. In verse 8. 
And this is exactly how a vine works. You've got uh, all these little branches, and the branches are where you get the stems that have all the grapes on them, and they're all connected to the main vine. The vine connected down to the roots. It's from the vine that all of the branches derive the essential nutrients and water. And with those essential nutrients and water, the branches are thus empowered to um, bear fruit. And so Jesus is really explaining why the relational unity mentioned already in John 14, 20, 23 is so essential. That if you don't have that relational unity with the Son, as the Son is in the Father, uh, the disciples cannot really be connected to God. And if you're not connected to God, you're not going to be able to bear fruit. The idea here is that the disciples will receive nourishment and sustenance through their connection with God in Christ. That without it, they would wither and be unproductive. Those who do not bear fruit can't be in Christ. They're cast off to be burned. Um, very much a warning and indictment on productive Christians. And it's one of those places where that metaphor becomes real thin. Because, uh, for instance, Matthew 25, 14-31, uh, the unproductive servant, the one talent servant who buried his talent, is to be cast into the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, another white plate where Jesus describes that place, of course, is the Gehenna fire in the Gospels. And so we, we see that uh, being cast and burned... Uh, there you go. But Jesus' emphasis here is on the need to be connected to God in Christ to do anything. Yes, there's a warning about the unproductive branches, but the idea is, no, you need to be a productive branch. Uh, but to be a productive branch, you have to be connected to Jesus, the vine, because without Jesus, you can do nothing. It's not merely about relationship, of course, because the words of Jesus must abide in the disciple, and they must do his work to bear the fruit. And this is the ultimate goal that's set forth, that the Father is glorified when disciples of Jesus bear much fruit, uh, when they manifest holiness and righteousness in their repentance, when they love one another, when they welcome people into the association of God uh, and the people of God. Matthew 28, 18-20, 1 Thessalonians 4, 2 and 3, James 1, 27, and a host of other passages are really about what this looks like. And so the whole idea is for disciples to bear much fruit, that the work of God that he began in Jesus is manifest in the life of his followers that attracts others to become his followers, and the kingdom of God in Christ can thus expand. And that is very well described here in this illustration of um, the grapevine. Now, once he's established here the importance of the relational unity, uh, between God and the disciples and Jesus, uh, he reinforced what had been made known in setting forth the greater privileges that the disciples now uh, enjoy in verses 9 through 17. The Father loves the Son, and the Son has loved them. And they are to abide in his love. You abide in Jesus' love by keeping the commandments as the Son has kept the commandments of the Father and abides in his love. These things he spoke so that his joy will be in them and that their joy could be made full. So again, a reinforcement to the power of relational unity and abiding in love, and also how abiding in love is not divorced from obedience. We need to recognize that our standing before God is not earned in obedience. We do not earn or merit God's love by keeping commandments, as we can see in Romans 3, 20 and 23, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. But if we're going to abide in the Son as the Son is in the Father, we need to be obedient, just as Jesus did all the things that the Father commanded him. Very uh, clearly laid out there. This is not to be a burden or to be depressing. It's a spring of joy for God, and it should complete the joy of us, the Christian, as well, that we can have this relational union with God, that we can share in his work and glorify him. It should be a great and positive thing. And the commandment here again, 
is given to love one another as Jesus loved them. He adds to it this time that no greater love exists than for a man to lay down his life for his friends in verses 12 and 13. So he returns again to the theme that he began with in verses 31 through 35 and repeating it. That underscores its significance. Again, we kind of just may read over it and gloss over it, but the repetition. Jesus doesn't repeat himself a lot. When he repeats himself, we should take notice. This is really important. No greater love than to die for one's friend is something that Jesus is going to manifest here in a little bit. And it really does sh uh, profoundly influence John, because in 1 John 3.16, he's going to say that uh, greater love is no man uh, than to lay down his life for his brethren. So he's going to basically evoke Jesus there and associate that with uh, all Christians uh, for, for one another as Christians. Now he had said here, and kind of opens up this idea, that greater love there is not than for a man to love to, for, to lay down his life for his friends. And he picks up on that friend idea and draws the disciples into a closer relationship. He says, I, I now consider you friends, not slaves. Slaves don't know what the master is doing, but Jesus has told them all the things that he has learned from the Father in verses 14 and 15. Yes, in the English standard, in most translations, you have servants. It's the Greek word douloi. It's better translated as slaves. That's the common understanding of it when all that that involves. Uh, many are kind of puzzled by what he says here, because here he says, I don't call you uh, slaves but friends, because in Luke 17, 7 through 10, the whole parable there is suggesting that uh, when you do what you're supposed to do, you say, hey, we're unproductive slaves, we've just done what's our duty. Uh, and the disciples themselves will consistently talk about being slaves of Jesus. That's how they introduce their letters in Galatians 1, James 1, 2 Peter 1, Jude 1. And Paul will talk about the fact that we're a slave of righteousness or a slave to sin in Romans 6, 14 through 23. So how can they say that they're slaves of Jesus if Jesus says, well, you're no longer slaves, you're now friends? Again, we need to remember, if we get all kind of twisted up about this because we fear some contradiction, what's really going on is these are all, in a sense, metaphors. These are all ways of describing the relationship we have with God. And when it comes to metaphors, a lot of times you have to kind of interweave metaphors. That you have certain things that people will take the wrong way if it's only one. And so this is not an either-or as much as a both-and. Um, there are many aspects of our relationship with God in Christ where it's really important to emphasize that greater intimacy, like we see here in John. We don't want to validate this. That Jesus is saying, hey, uh, the slave doesn't know what's going on in the house of the Father. The slave is just there to do his thing. He's not connected to it beyond uh, he, he's compelled to. And he doesn't know what's going on. But, hey, we have now greater access here because Jesus has told the disciples everything that the Father is doing. So that there's a greater relationship there than just the slave and the master. But we're not entitled to the, that intimacy just by our own efforts. We need to remember we are slaves of the master um, as well. So yes, we are not mere slaves in, of God in Christ because we enjoy adoption as sons and daughters and are welcomed in as a friend in here in Romans 8, 11-17. But we are to remain slaves of God in Christ, working to please the Master and not for our own profit or gain. And so in this way, Jesus is welcoming his disciples into that closer relational unity with God and himself than was previously enjoyed by anybody in Israel. They would know the work and doings of God. It's very powerful, very compelling here. And Jesus then reminds them, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And he did this so that they would go and bear fruit, and that fruit would remain. And so therefore, whatever they ask of the Father in his name, he would give them. He commanded them these things so that they would love one another. 
in verses 16 and 17. So you might think, well, you know, that vine metaphor we were talking about earlier, we've moved on. Well, nope, because we come back here to its ultimate conclusion. Jesus has chosen his disciples that they would bear fruit to do great works in his name, and that those works would remain. This is why whatever they ask, they will receive, not to gain worldly wealth or fame, James 4, 2 and 3, but to advance the purposes of God and Christ in the kingdom. And again, with the repeating emphasis here, this is not the first time Jesus has said this. This is, in fact, the second or third time Jesus has mentioned, whatever you ask in my name, I will give you. This is a becoming a, a plaintive plea of Jesus saying, ask me for things so I can give them to you. Ask me for things so I can give them to you. And we see how this is manifest, that they were went out, they proclaimed the gospel, they asked him, <laughs> thousands were converted, holiness and righteousness were made manifest, the will of God was established in Christ among them and proclaimed around the world in Acts and in Colossians 1.9. They're not asking for worldly wealth and fame. If they did, they certainly didn't get it. We can see that in the pages of Scripture. They remained poor, they suffered persecution and abuse, but they were ultimately found faithful. All of this is still returning to the central theme that Jesus has throughout this discourse. Love one another, because God is working to reconcile him, all men to himself so they can bear fruit and accomplish his purposes. And if they cannot manifest a love, love among themselves, how can it go out into the world if it's not being shown among Christians? And so this is why we have the metaphor of the vine to communicate to the disciples the importance and power of relational unity with the Father and the Son. And what's the main concept there in that paro, in that uh, image? It's the idea that if we're going to have life, we must be nourished and sustained in Jesus in our relational unity with God in him. Without the vine, the branches are dead. The branches cannot go off on their own and work well. And so trusting in God is not some kind of accessory to life. We're, we're, we're so tempted to do that, where we're living our life, we're doing our thing, and we're really, really in charge of it. And... God is an afterthought, something we think of at, at certain moments uh, when we're not busy thinking about other things, or when everything starts going wrong, that's when we start praying. That's not how this was ever designed to be. Instead, it's supposed to be something where we are constantly aware of our dependence upon God our, and, and to trust in God about all things, uh, even the mundane things that we would not necessarily think about. Uh, our faith must sustain us and direct us at all times. Jesus makes it very clear, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he's right. If this depends on our feeble, unaided efforts, it's not going to go very far. And so, John 15, 1-17, is not disconnected from the whole here. Uh, our line of connection with God in Christ is manifest in the presence of the Comforter, who is the Spirit, in John 14, 15-31. And it's all to empower us to love one another as Jesus loved us. And it's all only possible because he will have secured a place for uh, us, uh, because he's prepared a place for us through his death and his resurrection. And so we have to depend on the nourishment and sustenance from God to sustain our lives in faith. And it all works to the end of bearing fruit manifesting holiness and righteousness and promoting the gospel to others. That's what the fruit of Christianity looks like. It looks like Jesus. It looks like people being brought to Jesus. That's what we should be looking for. If we don't have it, we can try to justify and excuse it up and down, left and right, until uh, we're blue in the face. It won't matter because if the fruit's not there, there's something wrong. And this is what the branch provides for the vine. 
seed to sprout new life, the proclamation of the gospel, which depend upon the apostles and faithful men preaching it ever since. In Matthew 28, Romans 1, 16, 2 Timothy 2, and verse 2. This is not a relationship we deserve, but it has an end that is productive. Uh, and therefore, we need to be very careful. Are we connected to the vine? Or are we demonstrating that we're about to be cast off and burned? Because there's no place for unproductive Christians in the body of Christ. That is what Jesus tries to make abundantly clear in his proclamations to his disciples. Now, if we are bearing fruit, will we appreciate the pruning of the vine dresser that we can bear more fruit? Will we prove willing to endure the trials of faith that are necessary to purify us that we can bear more fruit? That's also something that goes on. And that is why it's important for us to serve as productive branches, to bear fruit for the Father by being sustained and nourished in the Son. And yes, Jesus considers his disciples to be friends, not mere servants, and for good reason, in John 15, 13 through 15. As we've already discussed, uh, speaking of the disciples as friends doesn't mean there's no place to talk about us as slaves or servants, because there are ways in which we are still slaves of Jesus, just as the apostles themselves understood. But in trying to sort out what seems to be the inconsistency, we shouldn't miss the point, which we're very tempted to do. Uh, Jesus didn't die for mere servants. He died for friends. He elevated them in standing. Working together in close proximity over time will foster stronger relationships, just as Jesus had with his disciples. Now, would we consider ourselves friends of Jesus? Do we have that strong relationship with him where we could say that? If not, what can we do in order to foster that kind of stronger relationship? Would we consider one another as fellow Christians friends? Would we die for one another? As John would derivatively conclude here in 1 John 3.16, uh, that no greater love exists than a man would lay down his life for the brethren. Okay, wow, that's powerful. But do we have that? Because we love each other so. Because the end message here is the same as the beginning of the whole discourse. In fact, he says everything has been commanded to them is so that they would love one another. How can the promise of the Comforter and the description of the vine and branches lead to the understanding that we should love one another? Well, throughout this whole discourse, Jesus has been emphasizing how he goes to the Father to prepare a place for the disciples in the house of God. He's working to reconcile mankind back to God so they can be sustained and nourished in him as the vine and they can work to be productive branches. Sure, reconciliation between man and God is supposed to then lead to reconciliation among man in Christ. Now we are part of one body, we're made one in the spirit, and now we are represent the one body of Christ to the whole world. As Paul goes on to say in Ephesians 2, 11-21. Now if we do not love one another, we're not manifesting Jesus to the world. We are not representing Jesus at all because God Jesus is God, is love. We're not betraying any nourishment or sustenance from Jesus because we're not embodying what Jesus is about. But if we do love one another, as Jesus has loved us, we identify ourselves as his disciples. We manifest his body to the world. We manifest this love only because we are nourished and sustained in Jesus. It's not sustained by our own innate efforts. If we love one another, we demonstrate we are of God and love the Father because we're fulfilling the commandment of the Son if we love one another, we display the love of Christ in the world, fulfilling Jesus' commandment, and many will wish to come and know him. And all of this, again, we should repeat. Only can happen if you ask. This is not an automatic 
That is why Jesus begs his disciples over and over, Ask me anything in my name and I will give it to you, so that you can bear much fruit. We have to ask for that strength to, to love one another. We have to ask for grace and mercy. We have to ask for wisdom and insight. We have to be constantly in prayer, asking for God to accomplish his wonderful purposes in us and through us, that he may be glorified in the name of Jesus, if we would see the fruit produced that God would have us to produce. And this is why we need to love one another, nourish and sustain in Jesus our friend, and to bear good fruit for the Father. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. We are sustained and nourished in Jesus and empowered to work only in Him. We are to be friends with Christ and friends of one another. And it all comes down to loving one another. For by loving one another, we identify ourselves as Jesus' disciples, nourished and sustained in Him, manifesting His body and His work in the world. And therefore, may we love one another to find that sustenance in Jesus, our friend, to obtain the resurrection of life that we may share a relationship with God in Jesus forever. Again, so glad that you've joined us. If you have any uh, questions or comments about anything that we have discussed, if you'd like to discuss any of these things further, if you have a prayer request or like to learn more about us, come to find us. Uh, you can find us online at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. We're also on uh, social media. If I can be of any service personally, you can reach me at website at DeverboVitae.com. That's www.deverbovitae.com. And if you found this truly beneficial, we encourage you to share it with uh, other people that you may know, friends, family, and others on social media. We again thank you. Have a great day.